live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. This is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Everyone is lined up. There's the snap, the spot, line drive kick. It is good. Whoa, a 51-yarder from Gutierrez, and he might be the MVP of this game so far for the Rebels. That's all you need to know right there. The kicker's good, 35-33, double overtime. We could spend three hours talking about this. We'll try to do a lot of it just to let you know how we feel. So let's start it. The first bite. How did Marcus Arroyo start Justin Rogers over Doug Brumfield? Can I uh, can I pause this question till nine o'clock because I've got some things to discuss with you at nine about why maybe nobody knew who was going to start and okay. how laughable it is. Okay, I'll just say I'll just say this to you, and we talked before the show as we all stumbled in here. Eastern Washington was favored. Eastern Washington was better. They have a better quarterback. They seem to have better skill players. They had a better coach last night, and. It is preposterous to believe that UNLV could not block Eastern Washington's defensive line. And yet, after all that, after all those facts, UNLV had no business losing to the FCS team. They needed to win. They needed to finish. They needed to find a way once they rallied, and they couldn't do it. They got three turnovers in that game. Yeah. Three missed field goals in that game from Eastern Washington. From Eastern Washington. Could not win against an FCS team. Those are six massive mistakes that the opponent made an FCS opponent made. This isn't like, Oh, Iowa state, let them hang around. Cause they kept throwing interceptions An FCS opponent made three massive mistakes and UNLV couldn't actually win the game. It's unreal. It's unreal that they lost that game the way, because Eastern Washington did not play well. Eastern Washington had three points at halftime. Did they throw a pick to a defensive end? Well, they almost did. They almost there did. Been they a almost pick did. Six. I wanted. I, I. I don't bet. Obviously, UNLV. But in, in my fantasy life, I wanted the under at halftime, and of course, it goes over. Um, I, I'll say this: in the first thirty minutes, we talked about this. In the first series, I saw a difference right away. I'm like, man, that first half might be the best I've seen UNLV defensively since I've been around this town and covering it. And it ended up. I know it ended up 36. They were gassed in the end. Now they gave up some plays in the end, which was probably inexcusable on the two back-to-back touchdowns. But I thought in the first half it was it was awful that they could play that good defensively and it only be six three. I thought they were really good defensively. Now good, it's all it, look, it's all relative. I get that. And I'm not saying like, you know, really good defensively at all. But what we've seen for so long, Tyler, that first half, I'm like, man, they played really good defensively. For UNLV, they played really good defensively, and they couldn't they couldn't overcome all these other things to you know, to give that defense a, a lift up in the end to where they'd win the game. Mike Ramal said at halftime, he goes, can you believe we're sitting here? UNLV's defense is going to have to win the game for them? How When did, when did we ever say it, that? It was a reversal of what we've seen so many UNLV teams do. Where UNLV over the years, they've had competent offenses. Mm-hmm. They've had years where the offense looks okay, especially in the Tony Sanchez era. I mean, they ran the ball better than most teams in the country did they under Sanchez. Fun. But... The defense was always horrific they every single tackle. night. So it's the exact opposite, though. Like UNLV had one side of the ball that looked competent last night, and that was the defensive side. And of the they ball. did, but the the other side of the ball offense was a disaster. I mean, they were they were awful on offense in the first half, and until he went to Brumfield, they were awful that entire game on the offensive side. So it's. Are you encouraged by the defense? Because it was an FCS. Team. That's the easiest team on the schedule. 
Yes. And they still... I, I think you have to be encouraged only because, look, I saw them lose to FCS teams and give up 40-plus. So, yeah, I'm encouraged about them defensively. Offensively, absolutely not. I, Like I said, I was, I'm was i sitting up there stunned that they couldn't block Eastern Washington. I'm like, they, they, I, what are they going to do down the road when they play real teams? If they can't block these guys... My concern defensively is, and, and again, most of the blame goes to the offense being horrible that entire time, but the last three passes that Eastern Washington threw in that yes. game, a 53-yard completion mm-hmm. on second and 20-something right, to right. set up what would have been the game-winning field goal, but it got missed, and then back-to-back one-play 25-yard yeah. pass drives yeah. to in overtime. I know. Those are the last three plays of the, the <laughs> legitimate plays that UNLV's defense saw. Were they tired because the offense was horrible and the defense had to keep running out there? Absolutely. But that's probably going to happen in a lot of these games. If you and well, the gonna, offense keeps playing yeah, like that, it if you and is going to win a game, the defense is going to have to do something at the end when they're tired. They're probably so, going to have to win a game from like Ramallah said. Right. They're going to have to win a game for them. So was the first half was absolutely encouraging, but they were not good in the second half, no. and that's probably the easiest opponent they play all season. So was it encouraging? I guess it was better than they looked against Howard. They tackled better than they did against Howard a few years ago when they got upset in that F- by that FCS team, but it still wasn't. T- I'm not walking away from that thinking UNLV's got a defense that's holding anybody under 30. No, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not either. Uh, and again, maybe it's and like I said, it's all relative because what we've seen for over 10 years now. When I watch that first half, I'm like, man, that's really encouraging. It felt good for those kids. They hit people. Um, you know, we've talked about this on Noel getting ejected. At the end of the day, look, I mean, it's the letter of the law he's going to get thrown. I didn't like the call. I thought he came from behind. I understand the call. Um, I Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he launched. I don't think he left his feet, but they still no, called it. So letter of the law, they're going to kick him out. I thought that was a bad call overall. Um, I think they have good players on that on that side. But you're right. In the end, you can't give up back-to-back first and 25s and, and overtime. <laughs> you can't do that on just, you know, simple go routes, and the, you can't stay with a kid, and, and he scores. So, so much to unwrap in this. And I, I'm glad we're coming back at 9 a.m. And, and doing a lot more in this because, again, it's going to go back to the Brumfield and why, and Rogers, why nobody would really know and how laughable it is out there that there's no access to have any kind of feel for that team. That's at 9 o'clock. You'll want to listen. Um and I heard this after the game in the press. Office. Well, Eastern Washington was favored. Yeah, they were favored. And that quarterback's better than anyone UNLV has. And and I get it. And, he, and the Eastern Washington coach was better last night. I'm sorry. He's an FCS coach who comes in and wins 35-33 in double overtime against a Division One coach. But you have to fin- you've got to find a way. And I'll tell you another thing that I thought was just laughable. For a Royal to say, we're not into moral victories. Oh, my God. Okay, first of all. Oh, my God. I know Eastern Washington was better last night. You know who says we're not into moral victories? When Eastern Washington loses 35-33 to 33 in double overtime, when you lose to the Division One game. Then if I'm Aaron Best, I'm like, hey, we're not into moral victories. We came here to win. We came here to beat a Division One team. He didn't have to say that because he won the game. You're in your second year, and I know, I know the whole you missed spring. I get that. You still had six games last year. And against an FCS team, you said, we're not into moral victories? <laughs> Don't say that, please. Do not say you're into moral victories against an FCS team. Unprompted, like the third sentence out of his mouth, we're not into moral victories. Don't say that. Unbelievable. After after the only game on the schedule where you are not going to be an underdog by like seven points or more, we're not into moral. Un- it's, okay, what are we doing with Marcus Arroyo? We're seven games into the Marcus Arroyo era, and they've lost all seven. Every time they've played a Division One team, they've lost by double digits, and now they've lost to an FCS team. And like you said, an FCS team that was 
better than No, they were better. I mean, no one's saying they right. weren't. So what are we doing with Marcus Arroyo? Are they winning a game this year? What happens if they don't win a game this year? I think if they win a game. If he's 0-18, like, what are we doing with Marcus Arroyo? He's got three years left on his deal, and Desiree Francois made him one of the highest paid coaches in the Mountain West. Like, it, he's getting paid over a million and a half every year. I, are they winning a game? I do think so. Yeah, I think they do. I think they might win two games. I mean, they're on track to break Northwestern's 34 straight. That's still a long way away. Hey, I'm just saying they've, they've, got, they've laid the groundwork. I think they do win a couple. A, it'd be a hell of an accomplishment. Not for a while, though. ASU, Iowa State, Fresno, and by the way, this is the thing, like, three people last night tells me, well, you know, Texas, San Antonio. Let me tell you something about Texas, San Antonio. They're only they're only getting five at Illinois this week, and you have to go there. So don't tell me yeah, Texas, San Antonio. Team, this team going on the road? Yeah, Texas, San Antonio no. is, you know, on the road in Illinois, and the, and, and the number's five. So they're good. I mean, they're certainly better than Eastern Washington. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, now you go to the handful of, can you beat Utah State? Can you? Where's the New Mexico game? Is it here? Uh, well, it doesn't really matter. I mean, can you beat yeah. New Mexico? But now, after you last night, not that we didn't know this before, there's a large chunk of games like that. You can't beat that team. What did Marcus Arroyo do at the end of the first half? Well, it was 6-3. to three. At the end of the first half, UNLV had the interception. They had the ball at the 35, at Eastern Washington's 35-yard line with over two minutes to go. And UNLV ran the clock out. They ran it out. They didn't want to give Eastern Washington the ball back, but it got to a point where they were under they were under 40 seconds, and they were still trying to run the clock out as if they were afraid Eastern Washington would go score in 20 seconds on their defense. But they got to a point where it's third and nine or third down, right? And there's nine seconds left. Clock is running, and Arroyo has a timeout left. And instead of calling it with nine seconds left to take a shot in the end zone, he lets it run down to three and kicks the field goal. They had an interception. Started at the 35-yard line with over two minutes left, and they settled for a field goal because the clock ran out. Because they let the clock run out. He was so horrified of Justin Rogers throwing a pass that he wanted he just took the points. Like, if you look back at this game, that's one of the big reasons why they lost. If you score a touchdown right there, you're winning the game in the final minutes. It's not tied. You're winning the game in the final few minutes of that one. And for some reason, Marcus Arroyo was horrified of letting his offense run a play. And he said, we're kicking the field goal. We are not taking a shot at the end zone. They were on like a five-yard line. Wouldn't take a shot at the end zone. It was like, nope, we're kicking the short field goal. That is unbelievably passive. And you that's how you lose games. When you say, oh, no, we're settling for the field goal because we we're terrified of running a play. That's why you lose games. Let me ask you something. Uh, two things that I want to ask you, and I think you'll agree. I don't know if you're going to agree with the second one. You come out of halftime. You win the, you, you win the coin flip and you defer, whatever. I, and, and most most times in the NFL, they take the ball. Most times in the college, they defer. That's the way it is. Don't really care. You get a possession to start the second half. They came out of the second half, w- w- which is preposterous to me that the, they, they get a, a um, delay a game to come out of the second half. Oh, my God. I, I don't know how you do that. I, I, you have an entire halftime to say, hey, when we come out now, this is what we're going to do. You get a delay game. Then they get a false start. Then they rush Charles Williams for uh, no yards, and it was another. And then they get another false start. It was a disastrous possession you get a delay a game out of halftime i don't even know how that's possible to tell you the truth you know what's the worst part about that last year two separate times after they received a kickoff they got a delay a game i, I don't because arroyo that. was holding them on the sideline yeah. talking to them while the play clock was I, under 10 what? they did this last year and then they did it again to open the second half how? Uh, it's, I, I don't know how in the world that happens. I, I, I don't. That doesn't happen in Pop Warner, and I don't even know Pop Warner has delay a game. <laughs> Another thing I want to ask you about. 
Down 13-6, and I, I, I got by a colleague disagreed with me, and I really respect his opinion, but I still am going to stand by what I say. Down 13 to 6, 520 left in the third quarter. He's fourth in inches from his own 24 and punts. Oh, yeah. Now, to me, this is what this means. And I know, I, I understand the basic, like, hey, you're only down seven. You don't want to take a chance. They can't block us. So, or, you know, we, excuse me, we can't block them. So who knows what's going to happen? You're a Division I team at home in front of that crowd against an FCS team. Make a statement. Yeah. Go for it. Sneak the ball. You're pr- nine times out of ten, if you sneak, you're getting a spot. Make a statement to say, you know what? To heck with this nonsense. We're better than you. We're bigger than you. Whatever. We can get inches or even a half a yard, and they punt the ball. To me, it goes back to the passivity that you just talked about at the end of the first half, being passive, not saying we're the D1 team here. We're going to get three inches, and we're going to continue this drive. Now, again, they might go three and out from there. I don't know because we never knew because he punted the ball. Where are you in that? Because I, I had someone, my colleague disagree with me and say, no, he's only down one possession. Kick it, and you can win the end. And I didn't change my stance. No, you go for it. It's four, they, they should have gone for it on every single fourth and short. Because punting in that situation, you're basically saying Eastern Washington's going to mess up. We're going to give them the ball back, and they're going to mess up. Now, Eastern Washington did mess up a lot in that yes, game. Yes, yes. They missed the field goals. I don't know they why threw they the threw long on the pick, by the way. <laughs> They're winning the game. It's like, why are you trying to throw, like, you know, <laughs> the deep out routes when you can just win the ball? And probably the clock's going to help you in the end. You're going to win the game. But he's, he's trying to run it up. <laughs> they, UNLV playing an FCS team decided we're going to put the ball in their hands. We are not going to be, we're not going to be the ones that win the game. We're going to rely on them to lose the game. That's what that decision is when you punt on fourth and inches, right? And that's, it almost worked. But again, that's the way Marcus Arabi, he does not trust his team at all. He has zero trust in this team whatsoever. He doesn't go for it there at the end of the first half, and he doesn't go for it on fourth and short. He has zero trust in this team. And what does that say when you got 11 more games? What does that say when you actually had a spring practice, when that was the important thing last year? Why did they go and say, oh, we didn't have a spring practice? They had one this year, and they still lose to an FCS team, and Marcus Arroyo is still making the same decisions he made last year where he does not trust anything about this team. I, 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 I'm, I'm just stunned at the, at the delay game. Because I remember oh, it happening last year as well. I, I that that can't register to me. Then you do it out of halftime. Yeah. If you don't know, and again, I get it down in distance. Where do you get the ball? I understand that. But you you have to have it scripted in your mind enough to like, hey, if it's here, we're going this. We're going to start this way. And he does do that a lot, where he holds guys in the sideline. Yeah. They do that all the time. Like it's over talking. Like call a play and go. He did it twice last year at a TV timeout. I don't know what he's doing, but he doesn't realize the play clock's running, and he just holds his guy, and they got to delay a game twice last year, and then he did it this time coming out of the first half. we got to come back at nine with this because yeah. uh, you asked me to start uh, to begin with why did he start Rodgers, and it's not a theory, but it is something that I think needs to be said. I'm excited. The Raiders signed a 32-year-old linebacker to save the defense. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Seth Harrison from 37 yards. The kick is on the way, and the kick is no good. He has missed his second field goal of the first half, and the Rebels dodge another bullet. We're back to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. We're going to get back into UNLV at 9 o'clock. If you missed the opening of the show, we'll talk quite a bit about it. That'll be up on the podcast, lvsportsnetwork.com. But we do have a little bit of Raiders to get to. They signed KJ Wright yesterday, a one-year deal for the 32-year-old linebacker. Uh, they lost Nicholas Morrow uh, to an injury, though he might be back in season. Javen White had an injury as well in the preseason. So they had some significant issues 
with injuries at the linebacker position. So now KJ Wright is here. Do you think the Raiders have good linebackers? I think they have better linebackers than they did last year, and that's not saying much because they didn't have very good linebackers last year. Um, I want to know if Denzel Perryman's completely healthy. I do. I now know KJ Wright was on the other end of the phone with Mike Mayock, or maybe his agent was, <laughs> and it wasn't the Uber Eats person I really wanted it to be. Um, isn't it weird how? Maybe not weird. I mean, look, coaches coaches do this all the time where they want to be surrounded by people they trust and people they've coached. But Gus Bradley, I, if they're bad defensively, I don't think Gus Bradley can come out and say these weren't my guys. I mean, he keeps signing guys that played for him and keeping guys that played for him. That's and true. <laughs> so you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, I'm a first year guy. Those aren't my guys. Well, these appear to be your guys. So. I don't know what you think. I, I think I look on paper they're better linebackers. I mean KJ Wright's a, I think maybe the, is he the first top hundred player they've had? Uh, he was ranked number sixty seven, so he's a top hundred player in the NFL. Um, but I mean, if Corey Littleton plays like he did last year, that's not good. Uh, Kwiatkowski, people thought he had a good year. I think it was more so that Corey Littleton was so bad you had to look that Kwiatkowski <laughs> was better. So I think on paper they're better, but it still has to be proven. They still yeah. have to go out and make plays. Here, the problem is is. If Kwiatkowski and Littleton are still the two primary linebackers, those are still the same two linebackers yeah, you had on the year. team last yeah. year. And you can argue that the backups are better because you have K.J. Wright. And K.J. Wright, when they go to a three-linebacker sets, potentially K.J. Wright's you know, a de facto starter at that one of those positions as well. But like, I don't know that it's materially better than it was last year because, again, you're talking about the backups. Now, K.J. Wright was one of the 10 best linebackers by Pro Football Focus last right. year. You just said the the player vote had him in the top 100 yeah. of the best players in the NFL. K.J. Wright has had a very good career. He's 32, and he didn't sign with the team until September 2nd. Right. I, was I that mean, him holding up for whatever money he thought he deserved? I don't, maybe. Because it came, it keep coming down to the Seattle and the Raiders, right? Uh, so that was, yeah, those okay. were the reports that he would go back to Seattle. He'd so, go back or come. I expect K.J. Wright to be just fine, but the guy didn't sign until September 2nd. Like, there's there's... It's not like he was a highly coveted free agent that, that a bunch of teams wanted and the Raiders won his services. The Raiders look like the team that was just willing to actually pay him on September 2nd, unlike anybody else. So I think your best bet on the linebackers being better actually has very little to do with the new additions. I think it has more to do with Corey Littleton not being awful. Yeah, Corey Littleton can't be terrible again. He, because, he can't. If he's your best line or if he's your starting linebacker, I don't think he's their best one with KJ right now. But if he's as bad as he was last year, it's not any better. Because here's the fun part. K.J. Wright last year was number seven by pro football focus among all linebackers. 2019, Corey Littleton's last year with the Rams. Was he number one? He was number seven, seven. Okay, number by seven. all okay. linebackers all right. by pro football focus. He was focus. good. He, yes, and then he was awful last right. year when he got to Vegas. K.J. Wright, if whatever, if for whatever reason the Raiders defense is just cursed and they just cannot have a good one, and K.J. Wright has the same downward trend that Corey Littleton had, and Littleton doesn't get better, the linebackers are just as bad. So the idea that, yes, K.J. Wright has had a good career, he should be good, we've done, we've played this game before. with Absolutely. Defense. Corey Littleton, in that year you talked about, I did a column a couple weeks ago, it was over 1,000 snaps. Now, this is all, you know, you know the metrics and the numbers, so when I hear this stat, I'm like, okay, is that true? But over 1,000 snaps, pro football focus had him missing one tackle. I think last year he missed 11 in the first three games. Yeah. yeah. So that's the difference in Corey Littleton from, you know, two years ago to last year. It's like, wow, that is a huge difference. Is the same true with KJ Wright? Well, we'll see. The the tackling part's weird on Littleton because we've heard so much about, well, he was he was forced to do too much in in uh the Paul Gunther defense, and it was a big change from what he was doing. But should that affect your tackling? Not like, that feel, much, not as much as it did. Right. Like I feel like, okay, you're out of position. 
and you give right. up, you know, because it's a different scheme. Right. You're not even there to make a tackle, right. or you, a guy beat you on a route because you right. were in the wrong coverage or something. That I could be like, okay, he didn't know. He got confused because they're asking him to do too much, and it's a new scheme. But missing a tackle is, you should be able to make the tackle the same way in any scheme. I, I assume that's how football works. So when, when missing tackles is an issue, it's a lot more than just, oh, the scheme problem. Right. So. I don't know what to expect out of Corey Littleton because I, I thought he was going to be he's, good last year. He's been now they didn't play these guys the whole preseason, so who knows? But you've heard very little about Corey Littleton, and maybe that's on purpose because he wasn't very good last year. But they've brought a lot of people in. You've heard very little about him throughout camp, and maybe that's how he wants it. He wasn't very good last yeah. year. I don't think he he when he talked to the media, he was fine. He and I will give him this credit when he talked to the media, he took blame and he said, "I've got to be better." He always said the right things, but you know we've talked and seen and heard about a lot of guys out there this camp and now into practice, and he hasn't been one of them. Now, maybe that's a great thing. Maybe he's going to be good. I think the biggest deal of this entire scenario that you're talking about is that I believe Tanner Muse has gone back to special teams. <laughs> war daddy. Special and he teams is, not, war he is daddy. now a war daddy back on special teams <laughs> because now I, uh, he used to be in the uh, as a starter on the two deep. I haven't looked at the two deep today, but I'm not sure it's still going to be that way. <laughs> I don't think he's there anymore. Yeah. I will say one thing on Corey Littleson. I think he is a big, can, a great candidate to have a bounce back season where he's going to be much better than he was last year. He better be. The question is, how much better? Like, does he return to where he was his last couple of years in L.A., where, hey, this guy's a top 10, top 20 linebacker in football? Or is it just a matter of, well, he's an average linebacker, because average would be much better than last year. But if he's just average, I mean, that's an improvement, but it's not really giving you that much of an improvement defensively that'll make a significant difference. So I think he's going to be better this year just because he had never been as bad as he was last year. But... How much better is really the question? And yeah. that's kind of the same question would take like a Jonathan Abram. It's hard for him to be much worse. He's probably going to be better, but how much better? I mean, is he's he not starting. Be? It's the same question with Damon Arnett. Yeah. All how these mu- guys, yeah. how much better can they be? Because if they, listen, if they all hit their ceiling, they'll be good. The Rangers will have a good defense, yeah. but that's unlikely. And it's more likely they all sort of get marginally better, which the defense gets marginally better. Which other better guys and, better step up. Yeah. If those three have marginal improvements, then other guys, new guys and returnees better step up. Coming up next, Austin Gale joins the show. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. Yeah, I'm not going to stand up here and make a bunch of predictions. You know, we, we think Ngakwe is a great player. That's why we went out and got him. We think Max is on the rise. We think uh, some of these other guys are, are pretty good players. But um, how do they play together? And um, most importantly, we're getting ready for Baltimore. we got to start getting ready for an opponent that's very unique and different. And uh, we do like our defensive line. We've made a number of changes there, and we're anxious to see him play. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Austin Gale. Um, all right, Austin, hold on. Before we get to the NFL, uh, you live in Cincinnati. How is this Cincinnati to the Big 12 rumor? Are you just, I assume you're roaming around like coffee shops and restaurants interviewing anybody you can. But how is this Cincinnati to the Big 12 rumor happening there? I mean, obviously, everyone in Cincinnati is stoked to think that the Bearcats could be joining the Big 12. But uh, I think they're also really happy that, you know, the Bearcats are going to be relevant this year. They have two really good, unique, on the road Power 5 teams to go against Indiana and Notre Dame if they win both those games. And 
win, you know, go undefeated in the AAC, there's a good chance they rank inside the top five, if not the top four, in the college football playoff ranking. So they're in a good position. I don't think they're worried so much about the Big 12 as much as they're worried about this year living up to really, really high expectations. What else is good about Cincinnati? Because all we ever do is ask you about whoa, Skyline Chili. Whoa, whoa, chili. my wife was born there. <laughs> I think that might be it. I don't know. They don't have a lot. Uh, you know, the weather is so trash. The food is somehow worse. That's kind of how I put it. Wait a minute. She's number one? God love her. God love her. Uh, K.J. Wright goes to the Raiders. Um, it was either Seattle or the Raiders. We asked, uh, Tyler and I were talking about this before you came on, whether it's Littleton, Kwiatkowski, Perryman, Wright. I guess on paper, that says they're better at the linebacker spots. But if Corey Littleton is the Corey Littleton of last year, we don't know if that's true. When you look at them now, is it prove it before we believe it that they're that much better at linebacker? Well, I think they've obviously improved, but where they've improved is mostly the floor of that unit. You know, there's not a lot of high ceiling potential with Wright, Kwiatkowski, Littleton, considering that none have played all that well in their Raiders tenure. I think the, the switch to Gus Bradley's defense could lead to some positive changes for all of those players. Obviously, KJ Wright with a ton of experience in that defense. So I do think it's going to be a solid unit for a defense that still has a lot of question marks both on the back end and in the front four. So I think it'll be an improved unit, one of the more stable, ex- you know, consistent, experienced units the Raiders have had at that you know, position in a long time. So obviously an improvement. I think it goes to as well – so investing high-end resources at a low-value position like linebacker can often prove costly when you can you know, find creative ways to upgrade that position by bringing in veterans like they have, Littleton, Kwiatkowski, uh, and obviously K.J. Wright. Uh, I know you guys had him, I think it was seventh last year, seventh best linebacker by Pro Football Focus. Uh, is K.J. Wright still a top-ten linebacker? Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of that is because there's not a ton of good linebackers in the NFL. It's a, it's a position <laughs> where expectations are changing pretty rapidly. You know, gone are the days where these guys have to be 240, 245. They can be 220, 215 and still be very, very productive starting caliber linebackers. I talked to multiple linebackers in this draft class that said coaches wanted them to play at 215. Like, they don't want them at 240 because they need them to move and cover. Like, that is the game now, spreading people out forcing your slowest player to cover their fastest player. That's why you see a lot of teams putting their best receivers in the slot. I think that linebacker position is changing so much that we haven't found kind of that next generation of talented linebackers to one where K.J. Wright and Bobby Wagner, who are both a little bit long in the tooth, are still top ten players at the position. You guys a couple of years ago, and uh, I want to ask you about tackling stats and, and, and how you know they're, they're accurate in terms of Corey Littleton two years ago missing one tackle and uh, over 1,000 snaps. Last year we had him missing 11 in five games, and I had a buddy say, well, you know, how true is that? Where, where did the stats come in in terms of tackling? Can you talk to us about tackling? Is it schematically or is it like, look, you, you're an NFL player. If, you've, if, you know, if you're lined up and you square up the guy, you must make the tackle. How bad is his drop in tackling in your mind? So tackling is very stable compared to other defensive statistics, specifically for off-ball players like linebacker and secondary players. So it was surprising to see him you know, miss as many tackles as he did. But I will say when you just watched him play last year, he was lost. I mean, Zoom meetings to install that defense overnight, going from the Rams to Paul Gunther's scheme, if you can call it even that, was a tough run for Corey Littleton. It was very difficult for him to adapt. He was reacting on the field. More, or he was thinking on the field more than he was instinctively reacting because he was not obviously familiar with assignment and alignment in that defense. I think the bigger concern, obviously, was him transitioning from the Rams to the Raiders in that new defense without a full offseason, a COVID-impacted offseason, to learn that scheme. 
Uh, we've talked to you over this offseason quite a bit about Cam Newton, Mac Jones, and the Patriots. Uh, on the Cam Newton side, do you think he gets signed by another team this year? I do think so. I think there are a lot of teams interested in his talent. I think he's obviously competing for the starting job in New England because Bill Belichick felt he was talented enough to do so. Mac Jones won the job outright, played better in the preseason, also was more available in the preseason. You saw Cam Newton miss time due to COVID protocols. He's one of the unvaccinated players in the NFL. And I think, why did Mac Jones win the starting job? Because he played outplayed Cam Newton. Why did Cam Newton get released? Part of the reason has to be the risk under the current NFLPA policy for unvaccinated players to hurt your team, to give you to put losses on your schedule, and also heavily impacted by fines and these different things. So, Cam Newton as a starter, you can take the risk of him being unvaccinated because that he's your starter. He's the guy that's going to win you football games. He's your guy under center. But as a backup, when you need when you need that backup to be a safety blanket, he needs to be a lot safer and more available than you think. All right, go on the other side then for the rookie and what you expect. For the, uh, I do think Mac Jones is going to play exactly how Bill Belichick wants this offense run. I think the, the similarities to Tom Brady, I'm tired of hearing. I think a lot of people want to make that easy, <laughs> easy, to, you know, easy you know, comparison. I still think there's a lot of room to grow for Mac Jones. Accuracy still looks very good in the preseason. Thought he got the ball out quickly. I thought that he got the ball out on time. Mac Jones is not going to be Tom Brady overnight, but on a rookie contract, you can win a lot of football games with Mac Jones because you can put together a very good unit around him. Now, they spent the most money of any team in the, pre- in the offseason this past year, and that was fantastic to see. They can continue to do that when you're not paying a, you know, a player $25, $26 million plus per year on that second quarterback contract. So you don't have Mac Jones winning seven Super Bowls? I don't right now. Okay. I'm only at six, so okay. we'll see. I don't know where it'll end up. Okay, so six, and then he'll leave New England when he's like 42 and win it with somebody else. <laughs> Yeah, probably Tampa Bay, I think. <laughs> Tampa Bay's only Super Bowl in the next two decades is when Mac Jones leaves the Patriots again. Um, all right, I did want to ask you this. What's been your favorite Jacksonville Jaguars slash Urban Meyer story from the offseason? Man, that is tough. I do think that I think the whole you know playing Travis Etienne at wide receiver out of the gate was interesting. Signing Tim Tebow in general has to be the most interesting story. Saying that COVID, in fact, in fact, does affect his decision-making, even though he knows he's not supposed to say that. There's been a lot of rookie college mistakes from Urban Meyer, but I think the best storyline overall is just how college he approached this you know, depth chart, saying that he didn't know who the starting quarterback was going to be. He's still kind of saying that now, even with Gardner Minshew traded, that Trevor Lawrence was going to be the starter. I think it's, it's been a funny approach for sure. I liked when um, Hard Knocks, well, I don't like much about Hard Knocks uh, this season. I liked in the past, but when McCarthy... Uh, uh, met him at midfield after the game and Urban started talking about, I don't have to recruit and do all these college things. You could tell the Dallas coach wanted to get the heck out of there as quickly as possible. He kind of hit him on the back and said, well, good luck to you. Um, On the vaccination, I almost felt, I mean, we know that the league doesn't want to admit, obviously, that that happened, that if it's a 50-50 split, I'm going with the guy who's not vaccinated. He probably shouldn't have said it. He did. Kind of Maddie backtracked, but you knew they told him to backtrack. How much do you think that happened? Like, do you think it happened a lot more than people realize where they're like, you know what, 60-40, 55-45, I'm going with the guy with the shots. If it hasn't happened, I'd be absolutely floored. It has to be happening. The rules clearly state how much it hurts you specifically to have depth players unvaccinated because if an unvaccinated COVID breakout occurs and costs you from playing a game, you take a loss, 
None of your players get paid, and you get fined heavily. If that happens with vaccinated players, nothing goes wrong. Nothing goes that bad. You don't take the loss. Again, when you're looking at roster bubble players or backups, where in the best-case scenario, Cam Newton, if he was your backup, plays zero snaps, you want that player not to cause you losses. That's the biggest thing. So I do think you've seen some other sources as well that a lot of people have said, you know, especially with undrafted free agents or low-end practice squad players, they're not even going to have those players on their board to pick up if they're on backstakes. You just It's not worth the risk of literally taking one loss out of the 17 games you have for a roster bubble depth player having an un, causing an unvaccinated COVID outbreak and costing you a game. Uh, Jerry Jones said on Hard Knocks that the way he prefers to eat Whataburger is to let it sit for an hour and a half before he eats it. Do you think Skyline Chili would be better if you let it sit for an hour and a half? I honestly think it would be better if you let it sit for a year. I think that is, it gets better with time. But I'm not surprised by Jerry Jones' food habits after he put salt on a McGrill. So, I mean, this guy is literally a monster. Uh, he is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, we appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Austin. Of course, thank you. <laughs> Jerry Jones' food habits is the yeah. It's the most it's the most interesting thing about the entire Hard Knocks you, this you, year. You understand you're a billionaire, Jerry, right? Yeah. Why I mean, do you have so many fast food texts? Does he have a personal chef? I don't know about a chef, but he has a person who goes and gets him the burgers because before he said what he said, he goes, he looked at the guy. Let's just say the guy's name was John. I didn't hear what his name was. He goes, hey, John, how many times do I have you run and get me Whataburger each week? And the guy says four to five. So he might not have a chef, but he certainly has a dude who gets in the car and runs and gets him his food. Like, Which, again, if I was a billionaire, I'd have someone getting my food too. I, I will say Whataburger is that good. I mean, I've, I've it's had not this... let it sit for an hour. Good. Right. Good. I've had this conversation with my girlfriend. Like, if we ever had a ridiculous amount of money, Personal chef is one of the first things we would do. Yeah. Like just the idea that a somebody else is going to cook me a delicious meal whenever I ask it sounds like one of the greatest luxuries you can have in life. You imagine like a home gym, you get done, you go in and say, Hey, Mikey, I want this. And he just makes it for you. Like you're the president. You can have anything at any time. Personal chef, personal trainer, I think are the two, like that's the two easiest decisions in the world if you're rich. It's just like, I don't have to. Pick what I eat. No, you just make beautiful. me delicious food that's good for me. Yeah. And then I have a guy it that's like, good. the guy that's just like, all right, you're going to lift this now. <laughs> yes. But what? Jerry Jones has Billy Bob picking him up Whataburger four times a week. We want to be the president. One of our good friend's brother dated a president's daughter back in the day. You probably can guess who it was. He spent time at this White House. And one of the times in the middle of the night, they said, you want something? He went down and the president was eating ice cream. He goes, yeah, come on in, man. <laughs> He goes, what do you want? They'll make you anything you want. He goes, that's one of the good things about being president. He goes, I can get anything I want at any time. And the guy wanted a sandwich, and someone made him a sandwich. He goes, it was the greatest time of his life. I go, I told our friend, I go, why did he break up with her? He goes, I don't know. He goes, but he goes, that one night was the greatest night of his life because he went down like, what do you want? (laughs) That's what we need. Coming up next, nobody is following the Raiders' lead in Las Vegas. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. So we had the Raiders make quite a declaration earlier this month when they deemed that all their games at Allegiant Stadium, you would have to prove that you are vaccinated to enter the stadium, unless you're under 12, because you can't get vaccinated if you're under 12. Um... I thought that we would see our other sports teams follow that lead uh, because part of the reason that Mark Davis uh, went with the, hey, we're going to require vaccination 
is because the other option was to require everybody to wear a mask and Allegiant Stadium had hosted a couple events with a mask mandate where nobody wore their masks, where there were not masks being worn at Allegiant Stadium. And so instead of trying to play mask police at every Raiders game this year, Mark Davis just said, no, we're going to make you show proof of vaccination. Nobody has to wear a mask. The Golden Knights and UNLV have not followed that lead. UNLV played last night in Allegiant Stadium. They did not have the uh, vaccine mandate in place. It was just the mask mandate that was in place. Everybody had to wear a mask. And the Golden Knights have come out and said the same thing. That as of now, they are going with a mask mandate instead of a vaccination mandate. Are you surprised nobody's followed the Raiders' lead? Disappointed, mostly. More. This is going to sound a little crazy. More disappointed in the Golden Knights as a professional team that have uh, a arena where you know you'll have sellouts. People will be very close to each other, eating, breathing, doing everything you do. The Golden Knights screaming. They're a good fan base. gets very loud. Um, I think that was I mean, the dis- last time I hugged a stranger. Was that was it a Golden Knights, Knights game? game. Uh, disappointed also in UNLV. It's a little, you know, you, maybe they think – they can socially distance people a little more in a stadium. I mean, they're still sitting next to each other. I, I'm disappointed in the Golden Knights. I don't know why they wouldn't follow that lead. I don't know the reason. It's not like you're not going to – I mean, what would the Raiders lose? 1,800 people? It's easy. Yeah, 1,800 okay, season, tickets. season tickets. Yeah. Uh, I'm As great as Raider fans are, a lot of them are from different places, and I get that. The love of that Golden Knights team in this town, I don't think you'd get 1,800 to give them back. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I it's eight, what's it, what's capacity eighteen plus so yeah. I, I'm disappointed I just I'm I wish they would follow the Raiders lead I am fascinated to see how the Golden Knights actually enforce this mask mandate oh and the, you can't and that's what Mark Davis told me about the Legion Stadium because he goes I can't he goes we can't enforce you you can have a you can have an usher at the end of one line. And someone in the middle doesn't have a mask, and the guy I, we're having some usher who's making whatever he makes have to tell a guy six four, three hundred pounds in the middle that you put your mask he's, on. He goes, "You can't enforce that." He's had a couple adult beverages. Yeah, exactly. Who's had a couple adult beverages? You're going to tell that guy to put his mask on? He goes, "No." You have to throw people out. That that, yeah. that to me is the only way you can actually enforce this. Is you have to hey yeah put your mask on, and the guy doesn't do it or whatever. You have to throw that guy out. And I can't imagine. They're actually going to do that. I can't imagine we're going to have no. enough people thrown out of Golden many, Knights games for not wearing their masks. No. But maybe they will. But I, I, I'm I, surprised. I am actually surprised. Well, they didn't say that. All they said is mask mandate. They didn't say any kind of discipline if you don't. Right. No. And that's right. and again, that's the problem. That's right. why. Because like I was at the Gold Cup game at Allegiant Stadium. And like I said, the only thing less than American fans that was there was people wearing their masks. Like people right. just were was not wearing masks. Was there a mask There's obviously a mask right. that mandate was, That was place. the first event after the mask mandate. And nobody mandate. wore them. And it you know, yeah. 5% of the crowd actually had their masks on while they were sitting in their seats. Like it was, yeah, I, if you're, if those are your two options, vaccine mandate or mask mandate, one of them is extremely hard to police because once you get in the building, you can take your mask off. Well, anyone's going to say I'm eating or drinking. That's like, you know, they're yeah. all going to say, Hey, I have this box of popcorn here. I'll take a bite of it. Like every five minutes, I'm going to keep my mask on because I'm, I'm going to keep it off because I'm eating. I mean, yeah. that's such a cop out, but that's what do you hear every time you walk anywhere? Well, put your mask on. I heard it Allegiant last night. Put your mask on unless you are eating or drinking. Okay. So <laughs> let me put my diet Coke here. And what am I going to take a sip every 10 minutes, but my mask is down the whole time because I'm eating or drinking. It's, it's preposterous. That's why, like you said, prove you're vaccinated. And then at least you prove you're vaccinated and you know, you still probably wear a mask, but 
at least you're telling me that you've had the shots. Do you think there's any chance the Golden Knights sat down and thought we might lose fans if we require vaccination? Oh. Well, they might lose fans from what I heard the tickets cost right now, so they might they might be losing fans on that. Um, yeah, I think you I think you consider everything, don't you? When because I think you have an owner who, I'm sorry, would have uh, somewhat of a background that you know would probably favor just masks. I mean, I is okay, okay. I mean, maybe well, I'm that's just where saying. You know, I'm look, they probably consider everything. Yeah, but like I. Like, after seeing the Raiders and the story that you guys had in the RJ about only 1,800 uh, people gave their season right. ticket back. How I many do you think wouldn't date Golden Knights? Not a significant amount. And even if it was, don't they still have a super long waiting list for season tickets? Yeah. That's, like, that's why I say I like, think that team's so beloved in this town. I don't think a like, lot of people would. You mentioned the prices. They yeah. can keep putting the prices up because there's people that are yes. willing to pay it yes. waiting that don't have tickets. If so, the prices are what we're hearing, it's completely stupid. But I also told my wife, she goes, what do you think? I said, oh, someone will pay it. Someone who doesn't have the ticket yeah. will say, well, I'll buy it. Because so, they want to go to a Golden Knights game. It's an interesting, not 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 even from the public safety, public health side of it. It's an interesting business decision to say, hey, we're going to try to enforce the mass mandate when there is an easier option. And that is the vaccine mandate. 